Hello everybody and welcome to the History Voyager. I recorded this podcast basically in what passes for internet time and internet history a long time ago. And I have literally no good excuse for why I didn't release it. I'll say that in some respects I think this is maybe one of the better podcasts I ever recorded. But it got me to thinking a lot about what exactly is going on with our present moment. It was recorded before the war in Ukraine was ever even thought of, for one. And it was recorded before some of my more humbling guests were were put on to the internet number two I wonder if one of the things that's happening with our present moment are that the old structures of, of media and also education are toppling down now is it that they're being killed or is it that they're dying of a natural causes or is it that it's some combination of the two I don't know that I can spend, you know, what time I have left on the earth to debate that and be able to do anything else because, frankly, you could convince me of either one of those arguments on a given day that the media and education system in this country is either being killed or dying a natural death. But this is the author B.J. Frost, and his work is ostensibly the reason why we had a conversation, but it's not, I would say, the most interesting thing about him. The most interesting thing about him, I would say, at least that I was able to discern in the hour and five minutes that we talked, is his philosophy and his basically um, way of looking at the world because increasingly I think that's how people are going to have to think I think um, in another time you could make the argument that with somebody that you had to find enjoyment through your work you had to find your purpose through your work And I think if you were to talk to people today, I think the vast majority of people would say that's not only is that not possible, but frankly, at least in the U.S., it's a recipe for financial disaster. He talks quite bravely and ad nauseum about his his history in the labor market and also his uh, book that he wrote. But I think that this is the experience of a lot of people in this country and also in Canada. And it's worth noting here that he's in Canada. But I think that there's a whole lot of people that have to reinvent themselves in the labor market because the paradigm of find happiness through your work is is simply no longer possible for a lot of people 
and hasn't been possible for quite some time. And we also talk about, you know, the increasing globalization, which I would say honestly has um, increased only more dramatically just since we recorded this podcast uh, some number of months ago, which shows you right there how fast all of this really moves. Um, anyway, in, like I said, in some ways, I honestly think this is one of my better shows. Um, and um, just in terms of a situational context, I recorded this right after uh, I recorded Steve Cannon, the... Uh, the creator of the Vibrations of Doom website, which for uh, essentially for personal reasons is one of the um, one of my favorite podcasts. But anyway, give this guy B.J. Frost a listen. He he's a very good author and he has a very interesting pulse on the world. I would say. All right, everybody. This is uh, Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager, and I'm. Having a great day, and I hope you are too. Okay, folks, I'll see you on the flip side. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. I'm here with BJ Frost. And we are going to have what I'm certain is a very fascinating conversation. You are what we like to call a content creator. Isn't that correct? That is correct. I am an author. I enjoy storytelling you certainly do i've read the available uh works that i could find of yours uh it was very interesting why don't you explain to the good folks um a little bit about your storytelling and then we're going to dive into your actual life story uh I'm an author. I'm working on a series of books called the Detective Runewall series. Uh, the first one's Detective Runewall Uncut Gems. Second one is Detective Runewall Grave Secrets, both out now. Uh, they're currently on sale for the holiday season, the ebooks anyway. Um, we're currently working on book three. Just got back from the editor, so that's all great. Uh, it's urban fantasy based off of a fictional world. If you were to mix, say, Dungeons and Dragons and Dick Tracy, slap them together, you get something, something along those lines. Very Amer Americana sort of appeal. Uh, mm. I I tend to enjoy using a lot of humor and uh, a lightheartedness to my storytelling. I tend not to go too deep into the nitty gritty and dark and uh, uh, grim sort of fantasies. Hmm. Uh, why not? Um, I think we find a little too much grim in the real world. And um, I, I kind of want to escape from that. So for me, I, I want to see more of the lighthearted and humorous. Now, obviously, there's still moments where there are those dark moments. There are those gritty moments. But it's not pounded into you in every single sentence in every single chapter of the book. It comes in, in ebbs and flows. Mm. I want to make it feel more like real life, like where not every day is a bad day, not every day is a great day. It's it's a lot of mediocrity with highlights and lowlights. Okay. 
Okay. Um, why don't earlier? So, ladies and gentlemen, we we uh, BJ and I had a conversation a while ago, and I quickly discovered that one of the more interesting things about you is your philosophy of just basically how you run through the world. Uh, so why don't we get into that? Okay. Um, it, it, it's obviously taken me quite a while to figure it out. Uh, I, I could say that people have told me it repeatedly and have tried to drill it into my brain, but some things you can't learn without just experiencing it yourself. Um, or just having those epiphany moments where you, you everything just kind of clicks and comes together. Uh, one thing I've, I've learned very, very importantly is uh, you really, really need to focus on finding what makes you happy and investing time into it. Uh, if you're able to find that one thing that makes you happy and make it your daily job, fantastic. The odds of that happening, though, are really, really small. A lot of people wind up working dead-end jobs that they absolutely hate, and they find it extremely depressing. And that's a lot of people. And that's sad. That That's not good. And I was, I, I was like that for the longest time. I was working jobs I absolutely hated that I found no fulfillment from. And um, it wasn't until the last year, actually, around this time last year, that I kind of got to that point where I realized what I wanted to do and what I needed to do in order to get there. Now, I'm still working jobs that I don't enjoy, which is fine. Because I know that at the end of the day, I can still go and do the thing that I do enjoy, which feeds my soul so that when I go and do the boring menial tasks or whatever they are, they don't chew away at me. And uh, obviously, I'm a storyteller. That's my big thing. That's that's my pride and joy. I love storytelling. Um and it, it's been that way since I was a child. And it wasn't until I was about 17 that I, I came eventually to the conclusion that I wanted to tell a, a story through a, the narrative of a book. I wanted to write a book. And uh, coming out of high school, um, well, in, while still in high school between grade 11 and grade 12, I was doing summer school. Uh, I'd finished some homework early. I was bored. I was trying to think what would be really cool for me to do that would entertain myself that I would think would be fun. I was like, you know what? I could just write a book. That'd be fun. And I started in on that process and then I found that I absolutely loved it and I kept doing it. And I was, I poured out pages and pages and pages of content, garbage content, mind you. Now looking back on it years later, it was not in any way, shape or form magical or great. Uh, at the time I thought it was great, which is fine. I learned a lot since then. I've gotten better. Uh, but then going into the final year of high school, uh, I dropped it. I didn't pick it up until the next summer. I completely forgotten about it. Uh, and then it was at that time that I was 18. I was finished high school. I should be looking into college. I had no idea where I was going to go. I had no idea what classes I wanted to take. I, I, I Like anyone who's 18 years old, no idea what I wanted to do with my life. 
but one thing that was always prevalent was I loved stories. Well, all throughout my youth, uh, throughout high school, junior high, teachers, instructors, anyone that I would tell that I wanted to tell stories, they're like, there's no money in that. Don't bother. And I was very soul crushing every time I heard it. They're like, don't bother. You'll never make money out of it. It's it's a dead end. It, the odds are you might as well win the lottery. You'll, it'll never happen to you. And it, it was very demeaning because it said that they had no faith in my ability to tell a story. And they were measuring success based on the 1%, based off of the very small percentage of authors that make an absolute killing, like J.K. Rowling, Stephen King, uh, God knows how many other authors out there that make absolutely piles and piles and piles and piles of cash that they'd never be able to spend even if they spent it every day of their lives until the end of their lives. That's what they were measuring success by. And of course, naturally, that got drilled into my head. And so going into college, um, my mother helped me find a program which focused on writing. A Bachelor of Applied Communications and Professional Writing program at my local college, which is now a university. Um, and I went in. And I didn't have a lot of faith in the program. I, I kind of felt like, I don't want to do this. I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. I had no ideas. And I, I, it was just that that thought, that voice from all those people in the back of my head, nattering at me, telling me I'd never be good enough. And it, it continued all throughout college, except for one class. And the class was called Publishing Pros. And in it, we sat down and we made a big circle out of all our tables. And there was 30 some of us in the class. They were smaller classes being a college. And our entire project for the year was three or four times throughout the year, we would write down a short story, a, a little one chapter piece or something like that, share it with the rest of the class, and we'd all give feedback to each other. I learned more in that one class than I did from any other class I took because I was getting feedback. And the feedback I was getting was positive. Everyone liked my style of storytelling. Now, obviously, there were still things I needed to work on and develop and improve upon. But it was that positive feedback that was kicking that voice right in the keister, telling it to be quiet, there's something good here. And that fed me, that fed that inner voice, that positive inner voice that told me I could do this, that, that fed my soul, that fed that good feeling, that craving, that that itch that needed to do that one thing that you're absolutely passionate about, it fed that. Now, once that class ended, there was no more of that feedback. There was no more of that food for my soul. And it was back to, you know, regular classes and back to the real world. And of course, I graduated. I wasn't, you know, the greatest student. I, I had my B's and C's and a couple A's pretty average. And I went out into the real world. And of course, I tried to find work in the writing industry. And I came across that lovely catch 22, 
Well, you don't have any experience. Well, no, I'm straight out of college. How can I have experience? Well, we can't hire you if you don't have experience. Well, then how am I supposed to get the experience? And it's just, you know, that endless loop back and forth where you never get to where you want to be. I moved to a different city to see if I could have better odds. I live in a blue collar city, so I moved to a white collar city right next door, seeing if that could improve my odds. Nope, that didn't do it either. I got stuck in warehouse jobs, laboring, doing things I absolutely hated, punishing my body in order to make those small dollars above minimum wage. And it just, it, it was soul crushing because you're going into interview after interview after interview. And I knew I was intellectual, articulated. I knew I could communicate well. I knew I could prove myself to these people, but they're going, no, you don't have the experience. Get out. And it was just that that wall that I couldn't get past. And of course, that continued for years. And it was soul-crushing. And I wasn't getting any of that feedback from that one class. I, I wasn't I wasn't writing because I didn't feel like writing. And I didn't feel like writing because I was being crushed by these dead-end jobs and this mentality in the world where if you're not, if you don't have a mortgage in a house, if you don't have kids, if you don't have the white picket fence, if you don't have a dog, if you don't have a career, by the time you're 30 years old, you're a loser. And that's drilled into the minds of so many people and it's wrong. It's so wrong because the measure of success for one individual is not going to be the same level of success for another. My measure of success isn't going out and have, I mean, like, I'd like to have a house. That would be nice. I'd like to have a family and kids and a dog. That'd be nice too. That Those would be nice things. But of course, those are things that you kind of have to, you know, they're not something you can just go out and drop down $1,000 and pop there in your hands. Those are things you have to work on. Those are things involving your personality, all that fun stuff. But something that I could work on, something that I could develop, and it was just me that worked on it, was storytelling. And storytelling is my thing. It's my passion. It's my love. It's that one that feeds that inner craving but I couldn't work on it because I was working jobs I hated. And I had no joy for these jobs. And I was working overtime. I was pushing myself. I was trying to get ahead and I wasn't going anywhere. Spinning my wheels, not moving. And uh, last year, uh, and of course, my parents are always concerned for my well-being, my physical, emotional, monetary well-being, wanting to make sure I succeed in life. Uh, my mother wanted me to go back to school, find some other um, diploma, some other trade skill or something I could learn that could put money in my wallet so I could do the things I wanted to do. And every job interview, every job application, every career I looked at that I could find online, every time I went to go and click apply, there was this voice in the back of my head saying, this isn't storytelling this won't make you happy. And that continued. And I, I gave in, obviously. I, I went and I, uh, I contacted the career advisors at Grant McEwen because that's where all my credits are. That's where all my schooling was. So hopefully I'd be able to just 
transfer over some credits into some other course and get through it quickly. So I contacted them and I was like, look, this is what I need to do. I need to figure out where I need to go. I need to figure out some career that I can have in order to make those big bucks in order to make myself happy. And partway through, and it was around exactly this time last year. It was around uh, Christmas time last year. Um, I just, I just had this feeling, this gut instinct that no matter what job, no matter what educational path, no matter what it was they steered me down, it wouldn't be storytelling. And that was that itch I just couldn't scratch. And the only way I was going to scratch it is if I worked on it. And I knew that. So about beginning of January last year, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to write because I have the time. I was unemployed. I mean, I had funds set aside, so I didn't have to worry immediately. Uh, I just come off of a job about two months earlier, so I had some cash set aside. I was like, I'm going to do what always makes me happy. I'm going to tell a story. So I wrote a chapter. I sent it off to a friend, made it available to them. And they said, yeah, it's good. Keep going. There was that there, there was that crumb. There, there was that cracker. There, there was that little bit that fed that itch. So I went and I, I wrote another chapter. And again, they were like, yeah, keep going. This is good stuff. This is interesting. This is entertaining. Keep going. And again, it fed that little itch. And it, it just snowballed. It continued. And it fed it again and again and again. And it kept going. And eventually it got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm almost going to be 35 years old this year. I've said to friends and family and colleagues and everyone who would ever listen to me that eventually one day I would write a book. I'm almost 35. I've never written a book. Here I have mm. a handful of chapters. Hmm. And for every chapter I wrote, it made me feel good what am I doing? Let's keep mm. going. So mm. I did. I just kept pushing forward. And eventually I got back to that uh, career advisor as I was in the middle of writing up the first draft of Uncut Gems. And I told them, mm. I'm going to push for this. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going until I finish this book. And it felt good to say it because I was feeding that itch. I was feeding my soul. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that I was looking back on my life and going like, I was an idiot. Why was I not doing this earlier? Any job I take on, whether it's data entry, whether it's laboring, whether it's anything, I shouldn't be looking at those jobs like they are the things that should be making me happy. That's what was soul crushing is because I was expecting them to make me feel good and they weren't because they weren't the itch. They weren't feeding it. Mm. Storytelling is feeding the itch. My success shouldn't be in a career, in an office, in a building, in a warehouse, in a lumber yard or wherever it is I wind up working. That is not my success. My success mm. is the happiness I derive from my storytelling. And that's where I just, I, I, 
I got to that point. I had made that decision at that point, and I said, I'm, I'm making this a published book. There is no stopping me. It's happening. It doesn't matter how many revisions I have to go through. It doesn't matter how many publishing houses put uh, reject me or tell me to go somewhere else. It doesn't matter. It's happening. Self-publishing was it available to me, and I realized this is the route I'm going to take, and I'm going to have it done before I turn 35. And sure enough, uh, turning 35 was in April, and I started in January. By the 23rd of January, I had finished 80-some thousand words of the first draft of Uncut Gems. And uh, after a, a revision, a second draft, it got up to 90,000 words approximately. And I sent it off to a friend who is an editor, who is still my editor. She is my editor when it comes to my books, absolutely. No doubts about it. She's fantastic. And from there, I started talking with another friend who got me in touch with a cover artist. And then I looked at the laws for getting an ISBN and a barcode, and I was looking at uh, Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing, and I was, I was. Why doing do you the need research. an ISBN? I'm sorry. Why do you need an ISBN? An ISBN is an international serialized book number. So it's a method by which a book can be recognized for what it is. So if you go to a library and you scan a book, that barcode tells you exactly what that book is. Okay. So every book has one, or at least uh, every physical book. Ebooks don't necessarily need them, but I generate one for my ebooks anyway. Uh, so that way I can, you know, take them wherever. Mm. But yeah, I went through the entire process from beginning to end. I, I made it a mission to make it happen. And sure enough, on April 13th, 10 days before I turned 35, I accomplished my goal and I became a published author before I turned 35. And I think that's definitely a milestone in anyone's life. And I derived absolute joy from that experience. And at the same time, I was, I was, I had picked up another job. So throughout the time that I was editing, doing mm -hmm. the cover art, getting the ISBN, uh, doing all that fun stuff, setting up my website, my social media, posting to Reddit and all that stuff. Um, I was working another job. And throughout the entire time that I was working the job, I never felt drained. Never like I did when I was working any other job. Because at the end of the mm -hmm. day, I went home and I invested my personal energy into my passion, which is what made me happy. It fed my soul. And I was getting positive feedback from family and friends and strangers. So clearly, I had done something good. I had done something well. So in complete, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, in complete opposition to all the people before that came and said, you'll never succeed. I succeeded. Not because I sold a million or 10 million or 100 million copies of my book. Because I published the book and it made me feel good. I did what mm -hmm. made me happy. It doesn't have to be the greatest book in the world. It doesn't have to be something that generates tens of millions of dollars in sales. 
I mean, it may in the future. That'd be a lovely thing. I'm not saying it won't, and I'm saying it will. But it wasn't what I needed. It wasn't the craving that needed to be satisfied. The craving that mm. needed to be satisfied was simply telling a story. And I've done that now. And it feels good. It fills my soul. It, feel, it feeds that itch. Mm. And now when I go to a job, and I'm currently working one now, I don't feel drained at the end of it because it hasn't filled that itch. It's not there to fill the itch. It's there to feed me and put a roof above my head so that I can do the thing on my own time that feeds that itch. So you, know, you should I'm always, sorry. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you finish and then I have a thought. Okay. Um, for all those out there that are listening, uh, if you can find a job that feeds that itch and puts a roof above your head and feeds you, great. It won't always happen, which is fine. So long as you can find a job that puts a roof above your head and feeds you, you can perform the task in your off time that makes you happy, that feeds your soul, that fills that void, that, you know, scratches that itch. That is what will feed your soul. That is what will keep you from being horribly depressed and sad and angry and frustrated with your day job. Hmm. Find the passion that you want and do it. Do it repeatedly. And it could be anything. Maybe you have a love of lizards or frogs or snakes or whatever it is. You can do that in your own personal time and still have a regular job. Your job likely, in all likelihood, just based off the numbers, probably won't make you happy. It's not there to make you happy. Mm -hmm. More than likely, your passion is. So if your passion can feed you so that you can get through the workday, you're golden. That is where you need to be. You need to have that something that will feed your soul, that will give you those brownie points so that you're not worried about the job. You're not frustrated by it. It's not aggravating you. You don't feel like you're going nowhere. You're feeding that passion. You're that joy, that thing that gives you energy to keep going. Uh, DJ, go uh, there's... Um... I have, I had a, a man on my podcast uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. I haven't released it yet. I think if we behave, I'm going to put you out almost immediately. So maybe I'm going to take a nap. It's getting pretty late here in the eastern part of North America. But, you know, I'll put it out probably in the morning. Okay. But. This man has this website, which is actually one of the oldest websites on Earth. It was made in 1992. It's called Ooh, Vibrations right. of Doom. Say that again. Right in the right in the birth of the internet. Right, right when it was get going. Exactly. Yeah. He he's got a. It's called Vibrations of Doom. 
he calls it a news he calls it a metal magazine but it's a web page yeah and he had this fascinating story now all cards on the table i'm a metalhead okay yeah. all cards on the table i'm a metalhead i did not realize we were going to have this conversation he and i when i interviewed when i started when i when i said oh you want to talk about dead malls okay sure right we ended yeah. up talking about vibrations of doom and man if he hadn't told me right up front that he had something to do in the morning and that he was busy I mean, I could have talked to him for hours. Yep. But he had this story about how he's never made one thin dime off this website. And yet it's gotten him like he can go to concerts. He can go to shows. He can do this. He can do that. You know, he has like famous metal, you know, famous metal acts come up to him and be like, I got in the metal because of you, you know? Yep this and that i gotta tell you talking to him and he said you know he he was going through some regrets as far as he wasn't able to market it or whatever but talking to him or listening to him i'm sorry not talking but listening to him i couldn't help but think you know this this guy man i tell you and see, I sort of see you as the same in the same category, but for a different reason. Like, you know, like they, both they of you found that passion that makes them happy. Exactly. Even if it doesn't make them money. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the emails have kind of trailed off, but I used to wake up every morning and I have a stack of emails like, Thank you for helping me save my family's life. Thank you for, you know, telling us about COVID, blah, blah. It was yep. so, just so humbling, deeply humbling. And the thing I love about my show, that well, okay, let me be more general. The thing I love about the moment that we live in, right? Yeah. Is if I went to a boss, if I, if in my old television life if i went to the television boss and said i have an idea my idea is to just talk to normal people about their normal situations and you know in reality this is oral history right because tomorrow it won't happen again right so this is sort of oral history my boss probably would have laughed me out of the room Oh, undoubtedly, because okay. it's not sensationalized. It's not dramatized. It's not, you know, it's it's not something that seems marketable. Yet, that's ninety nine percent of life. It's just yeah. people being themselves, talking to each other. And I mean, I started my podcast as a deep dive in the Spanish flu, and you know, and I have the fifteenth most listened to podcast on COVID in any language in the world. And, you know, I'm in the top 10% of podcasts on earth and I'm happy about that. I'm proud of it. But the thing I really like, the thing I love about my show is I'm able to talk to people like you. I'm able to put your tail on the internet and have people listen to it. 
and they could be positively affected or even just get a great story or, you know, something that I mean, helps them through the day. Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I talked to a journal, one of the coolest podcasts for me personally that I ever did was I talked to this journalist that I used to read as a kid. His name is Dana Blankenhorn. Um, he's a tech journalist. Okay. Yeah. Still doing it. Still writing words for articles and blogs and whatever else. Um, still doing it. But he said something pretty cool. He said, um, that in the new world, it's like, we're no longer in a, in a situation of lack. As long as you have the right mindset, as long as you have the right, um, thing drive and willpower drive and willpower and and you're able to you're able to tilt the thing you have to offer in a certain direction and i would like to add to what mr blankenhorn said which is to say that the old structures just don't work anymore they don't and I it's mean, not that they, right yeah it's not it's not that they were bad per se it's Not just that, that they opportunities good. are greater now. Exactly. Exactly. Look at, uh, look at me in self-publishing. Self-publishing didn't really exist. I mean, it did, but it was like fringe. It was non-existent 12, 15 years ago. If you went oh, and self-published yeah. 12, 15 years ago, it was literally you taking your manuscript to the press, the press being not um, the news, the press being the guys who actually printed the, the out the printing press, the, the actual, printing yeah. press. Yeah. Right, right. And you'd exactly. have to drop a fat wad of cash, and then they would turn mm. around and they'd print out something like a thousand to 10,000 copies of your book. And then it was up to you to turn around and sell them out of your garage. That was self-publishing at the time. Now, with the advances in technology, there's print-on-demand services. Mm -hmm. And print-on-demand services have made contracts with people like Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. There's others out there, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, uh, Kobo is another one, but they don't have a, a contract with a, a printing press. But I mean, ebooks are a thing. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, the grand publishing houses that have been around, that have stood the test of time for decades, centuries even, the only thing that they're really offering is their marketing ability. And their contracts. I, you know, and because it, it's. I can go to, I can write a manuscript. Yeah. I can go to editors, pay those editors. They'll go through the whole process with me exactly like I would if, if, I, if I was with a publishing house. They'll go through and work with me in order to polish it up the manuscript until mm -hmm. it's, you know, in publishing standing, in publishing format. And then I can go to a cover artist. And I can pay the cover artist to work with me and figure out what would be great cover art. 
And then uh, because I live in Canada, I can go to the libraries and archives of Canada and get an ISBN for free. And the States, you have to go to Bowker and you have to buy from there. But I mean, I can do that. I can go and get my own ISBN. I don't have to go to a publishing house in order to get an ISBN. I can go to the Library and Archives of Canada. And then I can take that ISBN, that big, long 13-digit number. I can Google a barcode generator, which I've done for both mm. my books, enter that digit, and it pops out the barcode. You slap it on the back of your book. You sent it off to the printing press and you're done. That's all the same steps hmm. that a traditional publishing house has, except for one mm -hmm. marketing. Traditional publishing houses have history. They have mm. friendships with all the marketing agencies, with all the, uh, big box name stores, but then again, even then, big box names, big box name stores. Not everyone goes to uh, Barnes and Noble or Chapters or whatever store in order to get their books anymore. A lot of them sit at home on their computer, pull up Amazon, and go that one, mm -hmm. and have it shipped to them. Well, I mean, I'd like to add um, Google Ads. Go Google to Google Ads. Ad. Go, go to Google Ads, go to uh, teach. Look, you went to college. Yep. You're smart. Teach yourself Google SEO. Yep. Search it, it engine doesn't, optimization. It doesn't take that long. It doesn't. Uh, and off you go, man. It's like away you go. Yep. And I mean, I had an epiphany the other day. It's not enough to know things anymore. It's what you do with the thing you know. Yes. That's really it. It's what you do with the thing you know. And it's just like, once I had that epiphany, I swear it was like a light bulb went off. You know? Yep. But Suddenly I mean, things become more clear and you know what direction you need to take. And it's all up to you to take it. Exactly. And exactly. when I first started uh, writing years ago, back in college, even between then and now, um, it, it always seemed like a horribly daunting task to write a book. And that's because, uh, and, and this is for a lot of people, when you look at a mountain, you go, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to climb that. It's not about climbing the mountain. It's about yeah. looking at the dirt in front of you, picking a rock and going, I'm going to get to that rock. And that's it. Yeah. Just get to that rock. Once you get to that rock, you then just pick another one and go, okay, I got to this rock. I can get to that rock. And you just keep going. You, and it's you just one keep, yeah. bite at a time. It's, a journey yeah. of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And there will be millions and millions and millions of people behind you that will have never taken that first step because they're too busy looking up at the mountain. They're, they're too busy looking at the mountain or they're too busy thinking. They're too busy overthinking what they have to do. Yeah. 
or or they're just generally scared and and being scared is okay being scared yeah is uh, a good part of being uh, in life uh because it, it kind of it helps you set boundaries for yourself and and that's understandable but at the same time you can make something seem a lot less scary yeah by looking at it as one step at a time one rock at a time one page at a time and if you do that yeah it's not so scary and over time those steps add up those rocks add up those pages add up and well the other uh, go ahead the other thing like i wanted to just add and i totally agree with everything you're saying but the other thing I just wanted to add is like, for me, when I sat in front of this microphone and I had all this stuff written out about the Spanish flu that I talked into a microphone, I didn't even um, play with the audio. When I recorded it, I didn't even play with the audio levels or anything like that. I think there's so many people afraid of not seeming professional because I think there's so many people that, that this is going to sound obvious, but like we grew up on professional media, right? We all, all of us yeah, grew up on professional media. Yeah. There, right? there was no such thing as social media growing up. Or there I mean, was no such thing as a podcast, or there was yeah. no such thing as, like, I remember, I suppose I can say this, that the one of the major reasons I started this podcast was I was able to have a conversation with somebody who was pretty prominent through Twitter, right? Yeah. And they were wrong. Like they were factually incorrect about certain things. Okay. And I realized as smart as this person may or may not be about this issue, I know more than they do. And yeah. I can look down the road and I can see this is what's going to happen if the laws of gravity hold, so to speak. Blah, yes. blah, blah. And I was like, okay. How do you do a podcast? What is that? How does that happen? Right? Yeah. You started asking the question, which which piqued curiosity, <laughs> and it, it drove you down that rabbit hole to eventually to the point where here you are. And when I started, honestly, I had no idea that I was going to be this big. I had no idea. I didn't know. Yep. You know? And I, I truly hope to emulate that in my own work, uh, in the future. Um, and I'm, I'm repeatedly humbled cause I, I look at my sales numbers, uh, routinely and I'm sitting here going like, Oh, another day without a sale. Yay. Uh, but I mean, that, that's something I have to work on. That's something that I have to get myself out there. I have to market myself. I have to market my material and it's a lot of work. It is. Uh, but there are those moments. Um, I, I had one person on Reddit 
who picked up my book, picked up both mm-hmm. books, and straight from the first book, they were a diehard fan. They absolutely loved the material I created. They loved the uh, uh, the world building, the story structure, the characters, the humor. They loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even went to say, uh, they even left me an Amazon review. And in it, uh, they compared it to Harry Potter, but better. It, and that's literally their words. Wow. Um, I, I, I would never say that of myself. I, I would never make that comparison because that's uh, quite an egotistical comparison to make. But hey, they said it, not me. Um, uh, I I think it's here somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, this this book brought back feelings similar to reading Harry Potter, but better in big capitals with exclamation marks. Can't wait for book number two. And they've gotten book number two. Uh, they posted on Reddit uh, saying that I'm their new favorite author, and this guy's absolutely a diehard fan. They're they're they've been nothing but wonderful. Uh, I've, I've chatted with them. They've, uh, chatted me up on Reddit. Um, they asked me a bunch of questions like, where did I come up with my ideas? And I answered all their questions because it was really awesome to have that one person that was so interested in what, in my thought process, my creative process, they wanted to talk to me about it. And, um, they even got to a point where uh, they offered to turn my material into a video game because they're really big. They're, they're uh, that's their passion is video games. <laughs> wow, that's so cool! And they offered to turn my my books, my my world building, my everything that I've created into a video yeah. game. And I'm sitting there going like, "Oh my god!" And I just I, I didn't feel ready for it. Not at that time. Uh, I'm still not ready for it now. Um, well, wait a minute. Let me let me let me let me push you, okay? Let me yep. push you in a direction. So, I I was on the fence about this whole podcast idea. Yeah, I was on the fence about it. I knew I I I could do it. I, I had researched it all. I knew what I needed. I knew I needed a microphone that could plug into my desktop and. You know, later on, I, I splurged and got myself a huge monitor so I could have all the video, have all the audio tracks lined up. Okay, but but I was still kind of on the fence. Like, who's going to listen to little old me? Okay, blah blah, right? Yeah. Then one day I was, and you know, there's somebody in the audience who's heard this story a thousand times, but. You haven't, so I'm going to tell you. Then one day, there's a, I'm just one morning, really early, I'm on YouTube, and somehow I fell into this rabbit hole. And there's a dude on YouTube, I'm not making this up. There's a dude on YouTube who literally cooks food in his dishwasher. Okay? I can believe it. All right. Wait a second. He's got a whole channel of nothing but him cooking food in his dishwasher. Hang on. Let's not not let's not knock him cuz hang on. Here we go. There's nothing sexy about it. There's no there's no nothing. It's just it's just him 
putting food in a Ziploc bag, putting the food on the top shelf of the dishwasher and cooking the food, right? Nothing Sufi style. There's nothing weird. There's nothing, you know, whatever. Yep. You scroll down. Homie has millions of views. Millions of I, views. I honestly can believe it because it's weird. And it it honestly makes you go, yeah. wait a minute. Can this actually work? Yeah. Yeah. It, but it piques that curiosity. Like it just tickles that part of the brain that goes, hold on a minute. I have to watch this now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Okay, by the way, I'm not saying to do that. I'm I'm certainly not saying to do that. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know. Right? I don't know. Yeah. But the thing is, here's the thing. So I watched the first video, which, you know, oh, oh, and there's nothing like, it's literally just him doing it and whatever. But I'm watching part of the first video, and then I start scrolling down, and I see all the comments, and I see, like, all the the views and all the this and all the that. And that's what pushed me over the edge was I was like, okay, if this guy can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. I'm not knocking him. Okay. He's a much bigger creator than I am. More power to you. If you're out there and you want to come on my show, I'll make room. I swear. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> because honestly, sir, I, you you did this. You did this. You created this show. You showed me <laughs> to how to, you know, yeah. this. It, it gave you that push. It gave you that <laughs> nudge that made you go, okay, if this guy can make food in a dishwasher and have millions of views, I can make a podcast. <laughs> no, I hear you. I totally do. And uh, yeah, the, the reason I didn't go for uh, the offer right away is because I have a lot on my plate and adding on that one more thing just felt like I would lose my mind and, and I wouldn't be able to do it justice. And I want to do it justice. And if, uh, if there comes a point where I'm ready, I'm definitely giving this guy a, sh uh, a call and being like, Hey, let's, let's hash this out. Let's get all the details. Let's figure this out. And I, I just want to be able to have the time to devote my attention to it. And when I have that, I'm going for it. Like this is, I mean, like I have a diehard fan who's absolutely interested in, in what I've created and but wants, what, okay. to, uh, wants for, to move I, it to another medium. I forgot to tell you the punchline. The punchline is he's the guy that made me realize. So the guy with the dishwasher and the food yeah. is the guy that made me realize Okay, you can't be too perfect. Oh, absolutely. Like, you have to be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna step off this airplane and I'm gonna open that chute and that chute's gonna open and I'm gonna hit the ground and it's gonna be some nice soft ground and everything's gonna be okay. Yep. You just have to trust. Yep. Sometimes you just gotta take that leap. And I I I am. I, I am going to take that leap in the future. It's just a matter of getting that flow for what I'm doing right now, which is my writing. Yeah. Um, I'm working on finishing up book three right now. I'm going to be working on the uh, cover art tomorrow. Um, and it's 
establishing myself, getting that rhythm, getting that flow. Um, once I have that, I still want to do audiobooks for one, two, and three. Uh, once uh, the third is out, I, I have to do that as well. And it's mm. just, it's a process. It's getting to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, learning as I go as well, making sure I do it right. You know, it doesn't have to be mm. perfect or fin- perfect or fantastic, but I still want to learn what I'm doing as well. Mm. So th- this is, and the fact that this, this guy was such a diehard fan and he wanted, uh, he, he wanted to offer me the chance of, of turning it into another medium of it, of an interactive medium of, of a mobile game was, I mean, like it, it kind of stroked my ego a little, a little bit to the point where I was like, okay, this is getting dangerous. <laughs> I kind of have to measure myself and go like, okay, am I ready for this? I don't think I am. Okay. We'll set this on the back burner for now, but we won't forget about it. And uh, it's also a great story to tell. Again, though, when I, when I started my podcast, I wasn't ready to be on the radio in Singapore. When I started my podcast, I did not understand fully, and I, I don't think I still understand fully, but I did not understand even slightly that there are some people that have some incredible stories that some of which are just deeply humbling. Oh, absolutely. Just deeply like, oh, my God. I mean, of of course, anything I can do to help you, obviously, please come on my show. <laughs> you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I mean, I mean seriously. Uh, just the other day, um, actually, last night, I was playing some yeah. video games with some friends. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I just got the book three back from the editor and I'm working on this and that. And uh, another friend, uh, talked about his life and some of the struggles he's going with and some of the ups and downs and and they were a lot more uh significant than something as simple as you know my editing's done and of course they're they're you know dealing with stuff and i'm just going like holy crap you know that that's definitely uh you know far more not only interesting but you know uh difficult to deal with uh, some difficulties in his life. Uh, and I'm going like, holy crap, you know, there's moments where, you know, you think you have big news and then someone comes along and you're like, Oh no, that's big news. And yeah, you definitely get humbled. Yeah. I mean, what I constantly see every day, honestly, every day I, you know, have a podcast with another homo sapien. Yeah. Okay. Is it's a small world. This is yep. this is a small world in this intergalactic void. And honestly, like we just need to get along. I I know that sounds a little Hallmark Cardi, but it's you know we're all born on the same hunk of rock. Orbiting one mm. star. Mm. Or like, okay. 
I had a guy come on my show. I put him out so I can say this, but I had a guy come on my show and he talked about how he really thought like his country was going to go to war in a couple months. And he's scared, but at the same time, he's there talking. He's laughing with me. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how I would act if I, like, seriously for real thought, my country's going to, I don't know how I would think about that, how I would act. It's deeply humbling. it, It is. I mean, like, you never really know yourself or others until you're really tested. And I mean like yeah. tested, like you're, you're literally thrown into the mm. fire and y- you kind of get a sense for what you are deep down, how you're going to react to certain things. Like your country suddenly being in war. I mean, I, I live in mm. Canada and Canada has a great peacekeeping force. We send soldiers all over the world and we try to help stabilize uh, unstable environments and, and try to help teach and instruct and, and help uh, other countries get back on their feet. And we supply aid and medicine and, and all that sort of stuff. So I know that the Canadian forces, which are, um, uh, God bless the Canadian forces, uh, they're out there doing their stuff all the time. But when was the last time Canada was really in a war World War One and World War Two. That's when Canada was really ever in a situation where it's like, okay, well, I mean, we have to respond to this, hmm. and uh, that hasn't happened in my lifetime, obviously, because I'm I'm far yeah, too young. Yeah. Was uh, Canada? I don't. Was Canada in Iraq? I don't. Uh, no. no, Canada was not okay. in Iraq. Uh, okay. Canada was in Afghanistan, I believe, as a right. peacekeeping force. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Canada was in Afghanistan as a peacekeeping force. Um, uh, Canada has been in a great many countries as a peacekeeping force. I, I believe uh, we were in the Korean War. Mm. Uh, we were not in Vietnam. Mm. Um, I think well, it you was had World pe- War One. You had people in Vietnam. I mean, there was. I mean, you know, you had I wouldn't be surprised that, if there were people in Vietnam, yeah. but the the Canadian government, government the Canadian right, military, yeah. I do not believe yeah, took a stance no. on the Vietnam War. No, right. Um, I think the major. Uh, major engagements that uh, Canada is most well known for is World War One and World War II. Um, but there's never really been an instance in which Canada was ever really threatened. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in like the actual, uh, the country of Canada, like Canada's borders, unless you go all the way back to the War of 1812. And even then, that was back when we were a colony for Britain. So, um, yeah, it would definitely be frightening to suddenly be on mm. the receiving end of going like, oh, my God, we, we could be having war on our front doorstep sometime within the next few months. Like, that would, that would be an absolutely terrifying experience. 
So for someone to be on another, you know, wherever it is that this uh, uh, individual mm. was to have their home country uh, on that brink and, and be terrified. And at the same time, you know, trying to find that lightheartedness to be able to, to communicate like a regular human being, that, that'd be a, a surreal yeah. experience. Right. I'm, I'm there with you, man. I, I really am. I'm there with you. It was a surreal experience for me. I'm sure it was for him. Um, and that's just one of a few deeply humbling things that have happened to me on this podcast. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Right. It's deeply humbling. And it's, it just goes to show that there are, there, there's so many people in this world and there's so much division. Mm which is doing nothing but harming everyone when we're all very much the same. We all have mm. wants, hopes, and dreams. We all have struggles. We all have difficulties in our lives, but we're all the same. We, we all yeah. live and eat and breathe on this one rock, this, this third rock from the sun. Exactly. And you can't have one country saying, well, we're going to do only this because the world doesn't care about invisible land borders that you drew out on a map. If you throw pollutants into a river over here, they're going to affect the land over there. Look it's at just Omicron. a natural part of the world. And Look at Omicron in Africa. I mean, you know. Yeah. Or like, look at, so I have this theory, I have, I have this theory that when VR, when virtual reality becomes a thing, right, becomes a real thing, yeah, that's like a smartphone, like that people have smartphones while people have VR. Like Ready so, Player One and the Oasis. Well, right. Yeah. So I think the the killer app for VR is that person in Alaska or the person in the Sahara or, you know, like you're meeting these people and this is a real person that you're seeing, that you're meeting, that you're interacting with. And I honestly think once that proliferates, you're not going to have, you're going to have a dickens of a time trying to get people to stay, to stay put in a country. I'm really serious. Yeah. Uh, globalization, mm. the internet, communication, um, all that fun stuff. It's, it's starting to degrade those borders. Starting to. There's still obviously... Uh, opposition and stubbornness which is uh, governments, corporations, nations desperately holding on trying to keep that them versus us mentality mm. because then it drives uh, what's the term I'm looking for? It drives competition. 
Yeah, but and I the think competition I... drives productivity, which drives mm. sales, which drives economy, which drives money, which goes into very specific hands. You know, it kind of greases the wheel. Money makes the world go round, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I think if we keep pushing that idea of globalization, that idea that we're not all different, that there, it's not them versus us. It's just all of us. That we could really push positive changes in our world. Uh, I wholeheartedly believe that we have enough resources on our planet. We have enough raw materials. We have enough food. We have enough clothing. We have enough space to feed, clothe, shelter every man, woman, and child on this planet. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly believe that. The reason we haven't is because someone first has to get paid, which is why there's not homes being built in Africa, why there's not uh, industry being made in uh, some of the island Asian, in the Eurasian countries. Uh, th there's so much poverty that could be eradicated. There's poverty and hunger and homelessness that could all be taken care of, but someone's waiting for those double, those dollar bills to exchange hands. Yeah. And it's sad. It's frustrating. It's it's defeatist to kind of have to deal with that. Mm. And I honestly believe we could make positive changes. We, we we really really can, especially if everyone starts getting the same message: we're not all different. We well, all have wants, dreams, and hopes. I don't even think it's everyone. I think it's. I don't know. Oh I, yeah, though there's definitely lots of everyone. people that think it's, a lot like us. It's a matter of getting the right people well, to that's think not, like okay. us in order to bring down those barriers. That's not what I mean. What I mean is like it doesn't take everybody to it doesn't take literally everybody to make social change or to whatever. It takes a few people. Oh yes, yes. That that's what I mean. It, it takes the right people. It, you you target those. You get those right people saying the right message mm. at the right time. You can make a lot of change happen. Okay. And I I think that's something that we we definitely need a lot more of. We we definitely need a lot more people, uh, the right people. Yeah. Uh, to stand up and say, you know what? We're not all that different. We we don't have to have this them versus us mentality. We don't need to have this division. We can make a lot of positive things happen for everyone. And uh, if we all work together, we can definitely make that happen. It's I just agree a matter of getting there. I completely, I could not agree more. Um, BJ, thank you. Um, no problem. I am going to stay on the line. Um, but because this sucker has to download. But <laughs> thank you yep. so much. All right. Hang on the line for me. All right. All Everybody, right. this has been Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm having a great day, and I hope you are too. All right, everybody. <laughs>